All right, once again, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 12 tonight. We kind of broke off from this just for a, a couple of weeks, but um, I believe it was for good purpose, and um, we're going to get back on it tonight. <clears throat> we're going to read verses uh, 1 through through 4, and we'll see how far we get into that tonight. Alright, Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which, so, which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Him who endured from, from sinners such hostility against Himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted in your struggle against sin. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Alright, let me pray one more time real quick. Father, we just ask You right now that as we read Your Word, we just pray that You would help us to, to see what You mean for us to see. Lord, we know that this is You speaking to us. And Father, we want to leave here tonight knowing that we've heard from You. So Father, help us tonight. Open it to us and give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to receive it. And Father, we ask You for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, so tonight... We are continuing our study through the book of Hebrews, and we're going to get into some context. Um, so somebody give me just a little bit of context about the book. We've been in Hebrews for a while. Tell me how we're going to understand this. Yeah, you are 90% correct. What, what part did you get wrong? No? Paul didn't write it. <laughs> there are some who think he did, and there are many who say it couldn't have been Paul. Um, so, but anyway, you're exactly right. It is Here's the main thing that Tim got right and is exactly right. This book is written by a Jewish author, and one of the ways that we know it was a Jewish author, it's written to who? What's the title of the book? Hebrews. All right, so it's written to Jews, another name for Hebrews. But look at verse 1 of chapter 12 again. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let what? Us. This author includes himself in this group, correct? So this is a Jewish author of some... We don't know who he is, um, but it is a Jewish author. And he is writing to a group of Jews, some of which, as, as uh, Tim said, are uh, believers in Jesus Christ. Some of which are kind of on the fence. They are, they're playing with Christianity and at the same time they're drifting back to Judaism, going back and forth. And then the last group that he writes to are a group of Jews that are not believers at all. They're just hung back in Judaism. 
And so the point of this book is for all three of these groups to understand. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then keep fighting the good fight. Hang on to the faith. Keep doing what you're doing. Don't go back. Because if you go back, the only thing that waits for you there is judgment and so on and so on. And then if you are a Jewish believer on the fence and you're kind of you're kind of thinking about becoming a believer, but at the same time you're still practicing Judaism, you need to come on over because let me show you exactly who Jesus is and why He's better than everything else in the law. And then finally, the last group, those that are Jews that are just not believers at all. And He goes through every chapter to help those people understand this is why Jesus is the Messiah. This is who He is. This is um, why He's better than the priesthood. This is why He is the fulfillment of the sacrificial system. So He goes through everything a Jew would understand to try to help them see the absolute evidence that Jesus is the Messiah that the Jews have all been waiting on. And so, ultimately, He says, it's not by Judaism or by following the law that you're going to be made right with God because that's what they believed, right? If you were a Jew, they were a works-based system or at least it had got turned into that. It never was that to begin with. But along the way, their faith got twisted into the way that I stay right with God is as long as I do this and I do this and I obey this law and I don't break this law and I obey these sacrifices and I perform these rituals and so on. So they believe that the way that I stay right with God is by doing this or doing this. It's basically a self-righteousness, correct? I'm working to attain my righteousness. But then he comes in and he helps them understand that there's only one way to be right with God. And what is the way to be right with God? Faith and faith alone. Nothing else. And then chapter 11, what does he do with chapter 11? So he gives them all these examples, right? Let me show you, and you know, you're exactly right. But he gives all these examples. He says, okay, let me prove to you that it's never been about following the law. It's always been about faith. And so he takes him back and he says, by faith, Abel did this. He offered a more, um, a, a, a more pleasing sacrifice unto God than Cain did and God accepted it. And then by faith, Noah did this. And by faith, Abraham did this. And by faith, Isaac and Jacob and Sarah did this. And by faith, Moses did this. And so on and so on and so on. The point is that he takes them down through all of the patriarchs and the matriarchs of the Old Covenant. And he says, it's always been by faith that God has been pleased. And there is no other way. The law was not given so that you could be pleasing unto God. The law was given to show you how far short you fall of being pleasing to God. All right, And it is only by faith that you will ever be approved by God. Now, with that context, I want you to notice how he ends chapter 11 because this is how you're going to understand chapter 12. Look at verse 39 and 40 of chapter 11. 
And all these, who are all these? Everybody we just named, right? All the people of old. And all these, though commended through their faith. That word commended means to, um, to gain approval. Alright? And that's where you could actually look it up. I, I pulled up the Strong's tonight, but I'm not going to take you back to 11 yet. But I pulled this up so that you could see the original Greek. Even though we translate it commended, and it does, that is a good translation, but it means that they gained approval. That literally the way they were approved by God is through faith. So all these, though they gained approval through their faith, they did not receive what was promised. So they died in faith, right? And since God had provided something better for us, and here He's talking about the new covenant promises, because remember, He's talking about old covenant versus new covenant, right? So here He's talking about all the Old Testament covenant people. They died in faith, being approved by God in their faith, but they didn't get the promises. And the reason why they didn't get the same, the, the reason why they didn't get the promises that we're experiencing today is verse 40 says, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. And ultimately, it means this right here. God gave the new covenant promises at the time of Jesus Christ, not before at the time, onward. But all of these were commended, even though those new covenant promises weren't in effect yet, all of them were commended and were approved by God by their faith. But He did not allow them to have perfect access to Him, if you will. That's what He means when He says perfect here. He means to have full access to God and who He is. He did not allow them to have that until the time of the new covenant. Because again, he says here in verse 40, since God had provided something better for us, new covenant promises through Jesus Christ, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. So they've been granted full access unto God in the same way that we have through the new covenant promises. Nothing more, nothing less. Before Jesus, He, he just commended them by their faith even though they didn't know Jesus, even though Jesus hadn't died yet, they were still commended and approved by God because of the faith that they had. So it's always been by faith. And now today, the faith is in Jesus, in His Son, in what He's done for us. And that is the way that we are approved by God. Now, yes ma'am. Right? Before Jesus died. Before He died and rose again. Mm -hmm. Right. No, not the Old Covenant. That's exactly right. Um, the same reason we did. We broke it. That, that same covenant applies to mankind. God requires that man be perfect. Y'all have heard me say that before. God requires that man be perfect. 
And the reason why the Old Covenant comes into play is so that you and I are able to look at this and see that we can't make it. And the only thing we can do is come to God in faith. Hold your place in Hebrews and go to Galatians and let me show you that. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians is right after 2 Corinthians, right before Ephesians. Galatians chapter 3. I think it is verse... Um, we'll just start in verse 19 and we won't break this down so because we'll get back to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12. But I just at least want you to get the gist of it, okay? So Galatians chapter 3, start in verse 19. Is everybody there? All right. Why then the law? Because that's the old covenant, right? So why then the law? It was added because of transgressions. So it wasn't added because you could actually follow it. <laughs> it wasn't added because, because the Israelites could actually do it. It was added because of transgressions. Now let's keep reading. Until the offspring should come, which is Christ, right? To whom the promise had been made, and it was put in place, the law was, it was put in place through angels by an intermediary, or Moses being the intermediator. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could have given life, then the righteousness would indeed be by the law, right? But the Scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now listen to verse 23. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law. Now this is true for everybody. This is true for Abraham. This is true for Moses. This is true for you, for me. Before faith came into your life, before you were given the gift of faith, you were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Now let's keep reading. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. And so here's the point of, of this text right here. The law was given so that first and foremost you could see your sin. In other words, the way that you know that you are a sinner is through the law. By looking at God's thou shalt nots, you're, everybody, Moses looked at it. And what do you think Moses went when it said that when God said thou shalt not lie? And Moses is writing. What do you think Moses did? I'm in trouble. Probably just kept writing. Didn't say much. But the, that's the point of the law. The point of the law is that it is a it is a way for us to be able to see our need for salvation until faith comes. In other words, it shows us our sin. But it is also a guardian. What does a guardian do? 
watches over you. So in other words, it's also a guide for you. It's not that you can actually do this or don't that, but it gives you at least a path. At least a path to be able to walk until faith comes and you see the true example of how to, how to be right with God in the promised offspring in Jesus Christ. So when faith in Jesus comes, all of a sudden the law is not needed as a guardian anymore. Faith in Jesus is here and now we follow Him. Yes, sir. Yeah. Right. That's exactly right. That's a great example. It's a guardian. Right. That's exa- that's exactly right. So, and that's a good example of what the law did for for us. But it was never given to for us to be made right with God. It couldn't because the the moment that uh, Moses was writing it, he had already broken it. The medi- the intermediary had already broken it. There is no dumb questions. Go ahead. Well, they that's the whole point of Hebrews eleven. They were commended by God because of the faith that they had. So in other words, God drew them to faith just like He drew you to faith. He didn't draw them to faith in Jesus Christ and His sacrifice, but He drew them to faith in the same manner. And they were looking forward to what God was going to provide for them. That's the reason why it starts out saying Abel was commended by faith because he offered a more pleasing sacrifice to God. In other words... He trusted that God said, this is what I'm going to do for you in the coming Messiah. That's right. Yeah. A face-to-face relationship Moses did. Well, there, and there's some there again. That that's a that's a that's a kind of like who is Israel? We can get, <laughs> we have to get into that for a few weeks. No, that's exactly right. No, they died in hope. Right. No, and that's the point of this text. Notice what it says in verse 39 again of Hebrews 11. And all these, though commended through their faith, they did not receive what was promised. Now the main point of that is that their promises was also more temporary, or not more temporary, but they were indeed temporary. For instance, what was God's promise to Abraham? It was a land. It was a, um, a great name, a great nation, 
um, that, that he was going to make his uh, name great. He was going to bless those who bless him. So, yes, there was a temporary aspect to it. But how that his seed would be, his offspring would be like what? The sands of the sea, the stars of the sky. How much of that did Abraham get to see? Sarah, the same way. He told Sarah, you're going to be the mother of, you're going to be the mother of many nations. How much of that offspring did she get to see? And so they, even though they were commended by their faith, they didn't get to receive everything that their faith hoped in because much of it was future oriented. And so he says in verse 40, since God had provided something better for us. In other words, it wasn't just um, a land here on earth or a temporary offspring here, or it wasn't just a... Um, we could go on and on and on, but the point being is that the new covenant and what they were looking forward to was far better than anything that this world could, could offer or that God's promise in this world could offer them right now. That's correct. That's right. That was their that was their walk of faith. That was their obedience of faith. In other words, every time they sacrificed an animal, they said, "This is what God's going to do." Every time, no matter what it was they did in the old sacrificial system, what they were doing was they were saying, "This is what God is going to do when the Messiah comes. This is who the Messiah is going to be." This is what he's going to be like. And this is everything they did in the law was an obedience of faith that said, This is what God we're waiting on, and this is what God is going to do. The point here is this they were all commended or they gained approval because of faith in God. God made a promise to them, they listened to it, and by faith they believed it and they walked in it. And then whenever you go through Hebrews chapter 11, you notice when we studied that, they made choices in that faith, didn't they? They rejected these things. They didn't walk this path. Like for instance, Cain and Abel received the same promise from God, right? But Abel was the only one that walked in faith. And so ultimately what you see in that is that Abel had to make some decisions to reject some things and walk this way Cain didn't make that decision. He said, I'm going to do this. And I'm not going to follow faith. In other words, the truth of the matter is what it proved is Cain never really believed God. Cain trusted in his own self or his own righteousness. And we'll see some of that tonight um, as we, as, if we have time to get into it. But again, here's the point. All of these Old Testament examples have been commended or gained approval by God. God has approved them because of the faith that they had. Now, verse chapter 12, verse 1. What's the first word? Therefore. So here we're not leaving the subject. We're still on that same subject. God commends people because of faith in His promises. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. So what's that first part right there tell you? What's He saying right there? Because there are many people, and I've preached it this way, all right? I have preached a sermon before that was wrong in this con. I took this verse out of context. That's right. 
and I and many others have preached this to mean that you've got these, it's like this stadium that we're in right now. And all these witnesses that have gone on and have run their race, they're sitting in the stands and, and they're, they're sitting up in heaven watching us now run our race. That's not what this author is saying. What does he mean when he says, therefore, coming from chapter 11, what's he talking about when he says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses? What does he mean here? That's right. He's talking about the chapter 11 cloud of witnesses, right? That's correct. Several weeks ago, over the past few weeks. So here he's saying that we as Christians are surrounded by people, by witnesses. And what are they witnessing to? What does a witness do? Witness testifies toward, toward something that, that they have seen or done, right? All right. These witnesses in chapter 11 now are testifying to a life lived by faith that God commended. In other words, their life in their witness is a testimony that God commends faith and faith alone. The only way that God approves you is through faith. So since you are surrounded by that cloud of witnesses that's back in Hebrews chapter 11, since you're surrounded by it, what are we to do? What does that next part say? Alright, but don't miss this next part. Let us what? Also. That's important right there. So here there's a command. And if I were breaking this down, if I were building a lesson out of this, and we weren't just walking through it verse by verse, I would outline this. The first thing I would say, first thing we have is the examples. The first thing he wants us to take note of is that there are many examples that testify to a, to a commended life lived by faith in God. That's the first thing I'll say. We've got we to gotta keep in mind there are examples that we have just seen. So based on those examples and because of those examples, now there's a command that He tells us to do. And here's the command. Let us also... Let us also. In other words, these are things that they did, that the examples did, right? So we're going to look back and we're going to see how they did these things. And that's how you're really going to see what it means to lay aside, and let's keep reading it, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. So with that being said, let's look back at some of the examples. Somebody give me one example of a life lived by faith from Hebrews 11 and show me how they laid aside every weight and they laid aside sin which clings so closely. And that word clings, if you were to go to this, let me. if you're looking at the screen, let me find that. Every encumbrance and... So encumbrance is the um, is where we get weight and the sin that's so easily entangled. So here's the original Greek word right here. All right, and I'm not going to try to pronounce it, but basically what you see under definition right there in the middle 
is easily encircling. That means a sin, literally a sin that just surrounds you. If you were to go on down the usage, they would use this word when trying to describe something that's easily surrounding, encircling, or easily distracted. That's what the, that's the way the Greeks would have used this original word. And so he's saying we need to lay aside any sin that so easily encircles us and surrounds us and easily distracts us, right? Beset, alright? And again, there's different ways the English translates it, but that's the reason why I'm trying to show you this tool. This is an app that I use, and you can find, this is called a Strong's Concordance. You can find this concordance in pretty much anywhere. You can find it in book form. But the point of it is for you to be able to go back and pinpoint any word that we translated, and then you can go back and look and see what the original Hebrew or what the original Greek is, so that you can get the best and fullest understanding of what they really meant when they said um, in circles or clings so closely. So we translate it, clings so closely, but they would have understood it as something that easily encircles them. It's any sin that just surrounds them and easily distracts them from being able to do what is next. So let's keep reading next in verse, tw- verse 1. Let us lay aside every weight in the sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set as for, for us. So if I'm outlining this again, I'm saying the examples. The second thing I'm looking at is the commands. And the first command I'm looking at is we've got to lay aside the weights. We've got to lay aside the sins the same way that they did that so easily distract us and so easily surround us in some way. Alright? So with that said, again, I want you to give me an example. Let's take Cain and Abel. We've been using them a lot tonight. Explain to me how Abel laid aside the weight, let me read that again, every weight and the sin which so, which clings so closely and he ran his race with endurance. How did Abel do that but Cain didn't? Alright. And why did we say it was acceptable? Do y'all remember that? Because that's what God had asked for, right? God had asked for a specific time, a specific place, and a specific offering. Both of them came, right? Abel came with what God asked for exactly the way God asked for it. What did Cain come with? He was a farmer of the land, right? And he probably brought his best, didn't he? In other words, even though God asked for this, He said, this is what I require. And when this is done, I promise I'm going to do this. Cain looked at it and said, oh, I got something better than that. I got my vegetables. I mean, when God sees, it would be like grace-filled flowers. Tara saying, I got my flowers. And when God sees this vase of flowers... He is much going to prefer this over that blood sacrifice. So what was the sin? That's right. Another sin was thinking that... That's right. 
thinking that what I have to offer God is better than what God has asked for. And how many of us try to live our lives in such a way and live in our faith so that what we want to do is give God what we think God would want instead of giving God what He asked for? That's exactly right. And it's still not your best. That's exactly right. At least Cain probably brought the best he had. Right. But so so in other words, you could look back at Abel and you could see that Abel probably had to lay aside the same weight, the same sin, correct? Abel probably... Do you not think Abel was tempted to bring something besides his best unblemished lamb? That's exactly right. That's the point, is that do you not think there was a temptation there for Abel to just bring what he wanted to bring instead of bringing what God had asked for? I mean, how many farmers want to just sacrifice and slaughter their best and most loved animal? I mean, there was a temptation there for him to bring what he wanted to bring instead of bringing what God asked for. But instead of doing that, He laid aside his own selfish desires and the sin that so easily surrounded him. You remember what God told uh, Cain when he found him? Or not when he found him, he knew where he was. But when he came to him, he said, uh, Cain, why is your face falling? Why are you so sad? Why are you so angry? And then he said, listen, Cain, sin lies at the door. And it is waiting for you. But you should, what? Rule over it. You should rule over it. In other words, if you trust me and if you follow me, you should not listen to this sin that so easily surrounds you, so easily distracts you from following me, and you should lay it aside and rule over it and follow me. If you do well, will you not be accepted? Is what he told Cain. And if not, Sin lies at the door and it waits for you. And so that is just one example. Uh, go with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Go ahead. Right. You're talking about something different. What I mean by it is this. You're talking about specific callings and here, how do I serve Him. The, the, but, but you do. Here's what His Word has commanded from all Christians. Be conformed to the image of Christ. Follow Him. Um, Go to His school, learn from Him, put on the things that He teaches us. That's the whole point behind church and listening to what the Word of God has to say. And so I think to answer the question that you're talking about is that those things come as as you see just where I can serve and and areas that, that I... 
that, that God may allow me to serve in. But the fact of the matter is, He don't call everybody to be teachers. He don't call everybody to be preachers. He don't call everybody to be singers. He don't call everybody to... You know, there, there are places where the Holy Spirit puts in the body as He sees fit. And sometimes we just have to learn that we just feel our way through. And there, uh, you know, there are times when you have this special calling on your life. But as far as a whole... We know what God requires of us and how to, just like Abel did. We know that God requires of us to trust in Jesus. We know that God requires of us to follow Jesus and to be conformed into, it is your destiny according to Romans 8.29, I believe it is, to be conformed. He said, those whom He called, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, His perfect Son. And so in that way, we do know exactly what He requires of us. But now there are other ways that, again, that He doesn't necessarily specifically always tell you, this is what I mean for you to be. I mean, I've been a Sunday school teacher in my life. I have been a Sunday school director. I have been a song leader. I have been, a, you know, I have been, and then ultimately I landed as a, as a pastor. I've been an evangelist. I've been a... That's exactly right. And to do it to the best of your ability. And again, Romans chapter 12. Those are Romans chapter, yeah, I think 12. Those who serve, serve with zeal. Those who do this, do it this way, and so on and so on. But. Right, yeah. I think again, we the Bible tells us to earnestly desire the the gifts of the Spirit. So, in other words, I believe that desire in us to serve in certain areas is one of the first and foremost um, qualifications. According to First Timothy chapter three, it's definitely one for a pastor and for deacons is that they desire that position, and then and then. It's not just that you desire it, but then as you do it, you see whether or not the Holy Spirit has actually has actually called you to those positions. I believe that's one reason why it tells us in for uh, especially deacons, it says, you know, let them first be what tested, tested, and so there is a time of testing to see it. He tells them, don't lay hands on anyone hastily. In other words, be careful who you just confirm as this and this and this, but there is a process that you go through to where you see whether or not the Lord has actually called certain people into certain positions in the ministry. And whether or not, most importantly, the Holy Spirit has actually given the gift to be able to fulfill those positions. Yeah, <laughs> I think it was that Spurgeon or I don't remember who it was. Yeah, yeah. But um, but anyway, go back to, again, Hebrews chapter 12. We're talking about let us also lay aside the weight, every weight and sin which clings so closely. Now look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse, uh, 23, uh, verse 24. This is a good example of it. You can see it in all of them. Uh, for instance, Abraham had to leave Ur. He had to leave a pagan culture. He had to leave a rich city. He had to leave his father's home. He had to leave everything he was comfortable with. So he had to lay aside certain things that 
easily distracted him from running his race. But for the greatest example, look at uh, verse 24 in Hebrews 11 at Moses. It says, By faith Moses, when he was grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Somebody give me an understanding of how Moses, by faith, ran his race and what did he lay aside? What was the weight that Moses laid aside? What was the sin that so easily surrounded Moses that he laid it, laid it aside? An easy life. Fringe benefits of the court, right? That's right. So gave up riches. He, set, he laid aside weights. In other words, he laid aside anything that would have weighed him down to run a race, right? Because listen, you may train with weights, right? I mean, how many people you know of that when they get ready to run a race, they're training with weights? You ever seen people used to walk with uh, weights around their legs? But when it comes time to run the race, do they have the weights on? They strip off all the weight they can get, right? Because they have to run the race. And they're not running it just to run. They're running it to win. And so that's what he's saying here, is that Moses knew that there was a race that he had been called to, and Moses wanted to win it. And in order to win it, he knew that he had a responsibility to lay aside weight, any weight. He had a responsibility to lay aside any sin that so easily cling to him. All right? And so. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, speaking of that, one sin I could think of that I I think we could rightly apply to this, Moses' anger. He had to lay it aside. Well, when you think about it, what was the first sin Moses committed in Egypt? He killed a man. His his anger was something that he had to learn how to lay it aside. It, It surrounded him so easily. And what was the one that got him in the wilderness? His anger. Whenever the people grumbled, um, he would complain and fuss at God about it, take a stick and whoop a rock. And um, and so again, but he had to learn how to lay aside that sin that so easily surrounded him. Now here's my question because we've run out of time tonight. At 7.57, we're not going to be able to finish this. Next week, we're going we're gonna to pick back up on this. Um, but here, here's what I want to ask you tonight. How would this apply to you? When he says, if the command he gives you is this, here's the command God spoke to you tonight. All right, This is not me. I didn't speak this to you. All I did was read you the Word of God. Here's the command that God speaks to you tonight. You also need to lay aside the weights that hinder you from running this race with endurance, you also need to lay aside the sin that so easily surrounds you and entangles you 
so that you can run the race with endurance because that's the same thing that the examples of this great cloud of witnesses that we've just talked about, that's the same thing that they also had to do in order to run their race. Alright? They had to make tough choices. They had to lay aside things and they had to make sure that they were running with endurance. Alright? So my question is, how does that apply to you? That's right. Yeah. That's right. Are we just okay with it? Have we just made peace with with our with our sin that so easily surrounds us or are you at war with it? Again, I didn't he's not saying that Moses laid it aside and never dealt with it again, is he? No, because we see as Bobby just pointed out earlier, we see that throughout Moses's journey that he he fought with this sin, that he battled with this sin, but it would so easily entangle him. And so he was not sinless that made him be commended by God. It was his faith and followed by faith. But in order to run that race, he went to war with this sin and he decided to keep setting it aside and keep setting it aside. And whatever the weight is, what does a weight do to you? Hold you down. It keeps you from running at your best. I want to read one last scripture to you, and um, and then we'll let you go. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And we'll hold your place in 12 because I want to finish up there. But uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Verse um, 24 to the end. Now here in verse 24, Paul speaks very plainly about a real physical race in this world. All right, He's using it as an example. And he says this, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run? <laughs> right? I mean, that's, you understand that, right? Not, you don't have to be a scientist to figure that out. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one runner receives the prize. Now that's the way it is in a race. Now if that's true, you need to do what according to this? So run that you may obtain it. Run in such a way that you can get the prize. Is that not what Moses was doing? Alright, we'll keep reading verse 25. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. Right? I mean, if you're an athlete, if you're a bodybuilder, if you're a, whatever you are, um, you, you learn to exercise self-control, right? And if you don't exercise self-control, what happens? Out of shape, fat, that's right. But you learn to exercise self-control in all things. Now, they do it to receive a perishable wreath. In other words, everybody that exercises and everybody that trains, the truth of the matter is, it's not a bad thing. But is it going to amount for anything for eternity? Matter of fact, how many years will it be before it won't make any difference at all? Somebody look at Arnold Schwarzenegger today and tell me that, and tell me that if you didn't see the evidence, you'd ever believe he was a bodybuilder. All right, keep reading. They do it to receive a perishable read, but we run 
and train in our race to receive an imperishable one. So verse 26, so here's what Paul's conclusion is of this. So I do not run aimlessly. In other words, I'm training. I'm exercising self-control. I'm at battle with my sin. I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one just beating the air. I got an enemy and I know what I'm hitting when I hit. But verse 27, But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. In other words, he's not saying that I'm going to win this race by my works. He's saying that it proves that I'm running this race to win by the way that I train by the way that I'm not just aimlessly running or, or beating the air, but instead I'm disciplining my body. And, and so you could take that into the same context of Hebrews chapter 12. We have to learn to exercise self-control. And we have to learn to lay aside the weight. We have to learn to lay aside the sin that so easily encircles you and run the race. This is a race. <laughs> you're not going to sit back and drift into heaven. If you're going to drift into anything, it's going the other way. There's a race to be run, just like they did. And yes, it, if you're actually running that race and there is a prize that you're going after, there's going to be some training involved. There's going to be some weightlifting involved. There's going to be some laying aside of weights and sins that are involved. And so, back at Hebrews chapter 12, this is the end. First, we have the examples. If you're building an outline and you want to study it for yourself, first off, write number one, the examples. And then you can start looking at the examples as you look at the command. Number two, the commands. Here's the commands. First off, let us also... Lay aside every weight, it's the first command. Lay aside every sin which clings so closely, is the second command. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Your race is not the same as Moses', right? But it is a race that requires faith. And so now, third command, you've got to run with what? Endurance. So there would be another key word to look up in you if I had time tonight to show you. Run with endurance the race that is set before us. And then the last thing, or the third thing, would be the how. How do we run with endurance? Well, what's the first three words of verse 2? And then you could go on and you could study that too. And so anyway, the last thing would be the why. What's the, um, what's the second part of verse 2? Why do we... Why did Jesus run the race that He ran? For the joy and for the reward seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We'll look, we'll look at those next week. We'll cover those. Alright, here's the question you've got to go home and you've got to figure out tonight. How does this apply to you? This Word will do you no good whatsoever if you don't figure out how it applies to you. If I don't figure out how it applies to me. What is the weight that I have to learn to lay aside just like these other examples did? And go back and read the examples. 
so that you can see what were the weights that they had to lay aside in order to run the race that God gave them. What were the sins that so easily surrounded them? And then how does that apply to me so that I can follow this command and run this race with endurance? All right, any questions tonight? All right, we'll pick up next week with the last uh, with the last of those two verses um, or three verses, verse two, verse three, and verse four. <laughs> we might be here a while. That's all right. That's right. Well, I would say that. Right. That's right. You don't have to say a word. You know, that, this, this, that, that tire cost me too much to do this. All right. I mean, there was a fight. Mm-hmm. And I said, get out of my damn way. Y'all did this. Right. And I picked up my phone and I called the horse. I said, this tire y'all charged me or gave me or something. I said, charge me for even with that. I'll be able to pay That That's the weight that we all have, though. Right. You're right. They don't know. Yeah. But that's my point. So that's that's my point is that you've got to sit back and just and think about this. You can't your Bible study is never done just because you walk away going, okay, I understand what that means. That's great. Right, that's right. And so that's that's not the point. The point is that you have now got to figure out how does that apply to me? What are the weights in my life that keep me from running with endurance? What are the the sins that so easily entangle me? And how do I go to war with them? How do I go to war with them? Again, I'm not saying you don't fight with them anymore and all of a sudden they just go away. No, they still try to surround you. But you learn to recognize them and and make a decision. Choose just like Moses did. Just like you go back to Hebrews 11 verse 24 and you make a decision. 
that I am going to, instead of being called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, I'm going to choose rather to be mistreated with the Israelites, so on and so on. Faith says I'm going to make choices and those choices are going to be what pleases God and not just what pleases me. That's what the race is about. <laughs> right. All right. 